As certified financial planners, we've seen firsthand how financial wellness is connected to other areas of wellness in our lives. Join us as we explore the relationship between our physical, emotional, and financial well-being and share the habits and tools we found effective in the pursuit of a balanced, intentional life. I'm Lauren. I'm Donna Grace. This is Life Rebalanced. Today's guest is Whitney Hansen. Whitney is a financial coach, speaker, and host of the award-winning podcast, The Money Nerds. She's been featured on Forbes, CNBC, ESPN, Yahoo Finance, Ally, and Frequence Local News Channels. After paying off $30,000 in 10 months, hacking her way to a $472 MBA, and buying her first home at 19, she discovered her love for helping millennials take control of their financial life. Whitney, welcome to the Life Rebalanced podcast. I am so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So your bio sounds super fun, actually. Money is such a serious thing, but I feel like you approach it with a lot of fun and a lightness to it. Tell me about how you got into being a financial coach and how you help your clients in that capacity. This is such a great question and actually very timely. The other day I was cleaning out my guest room and getting rid of crap. And I came across a notebook. And in this notebook, I had a list of all of the goals that I wanted to accomplish. And one of the things that I wanted to do back in my day was become a financial advisor. So this was like 2011. And it was interesting that I wrote that down because I wanted to help people with money after paying off my debt, after buying my house. I saw how important the financial piece could be in our lives. But at that time, I naively thought the only way to help people with money is to become a financial advisor or to become a certified public accountant. I didn't realize you could actually help people from a coaching perspective with the day-to-day. And how that really came about was people asking for advice. I think this is so important. Anytime somebody asks you, if you get three people that ask you, three different people for the same type of advice, if they are always coming to you for the same things like, hey, how do I organize my closet more? How do I budget? How do I pay off debt? I think that's an indicator that there's something deeper there and that people know you for something. And that was it for me. People were asking for help with the day-to-day of their finances. And so that's kind of where I launched my business. That's really interesting that you say that. If people are coming to you repeatedly to ask you for something, you might have something special there. I think so often we get too close to our own genius or our own competencies to really recognize when you have something special. Like completely. When you're good at something, you just think like, oh, it's easy. Everybody can do this if I'm good at it. (laughs) Yes. And I'm glad you said that. This is actually something I've been working through myself too. Allowing things to be easy in our lives. And it's one of those things where I think we overcomplicate everything. So if you're naturally great at, I don't know, the budgeting piece and you just don't seem to have an issue with that, we somehow think if it's too easy for us, that means that it's not valuable enough. So we try to overcomplicate things when sometimes it's allow it to be easy for you. And it's one of the things that I'm actually actively working on right now. Well, it's like more valuable if you can make it easier. Totally. The value comes in and how easy it is to do something or apply something. Yeah, that's yes. really good. So you paid off $30,000 in 10 months. And I also read on your website, you have a real started from the bottom story. So can you share that story with us and about your journey to paying off that debt in such a short period of time as such a young person? Yeah. So I'm going to take you guys back a little bit further so you understand the context of how my money story really started. When I was a kid, I grew up in a family of six siblings. So there's six of me, which is absolutely crazy. One of the things that I saw was my mom had barely graduated high school. She got married when she was 17 years old. So crazy. 
my dad did not graduate high school. They coupled up together, had kids when they started like 21 years old is when she had my oldest sister. And all throughout the conversation, my mom was never really part of managing money. My dad made the money. He was the breadwinner. My mom stayed home. She took care of the kids. And that was great until it wasn't. Their relationship soon got very toxic and it got very abusive physically and verbally. And it got to the point where she actually had to leave and divorce for her life. Like, I know that sounds dramatic, but it's very true. It does sound dramatic, but it's unfortunately, it's not an uncommon story. No. And that's the bummer part too, right? Is once you start talking about this, you see how many people have really similar stories and it's super heartbreaking, but that was how I grew up. So my mom was always in and out of the house. It was always very dysfunctional, never a sense of stability. But when she finally did leave, she lived in this like tiny two bedroom apartment. Remember six kids. There was a lot of people. Wow. Yeah. Nuts. And it was this period of time where we were so freaking broke that we truly didn't even have money to buy a mattress. We found our first mattress from a garbage can. And so it's interesting because that's how I grew up. So money was definitely scarce. There was never enough. Also, I started to see that when you have money, especially as a woman, you have power. Mm. And that was something I always wanted for my life. So that's where the passion for money came from. And why I say I started from the bottom is I grew up in a single mom household where we were freaking broke. And so I was able to claw my way out of that. Wow. When we talk about what motivates people around money, most money decisions are coming from a place of greed or fear. And neither of those are bad. And they sound like extremely negative words, but they're not meant to be when it's about money. It's because you either want more or searching for more, seeking more, you want to do more, or you are coming from a place of scarcity, which sounds like... And it's interesting. It sounds like you're coming from both. It was a desire to never find yourself in that scarce Mm -hmm. place, but at the same time, seeking empowerment and the ability to do things. I think that's a really good observation. And I think a lot of times too, we fight our negatives in our lives. Sometimes we are so afraid if we want to lose 20 pounds, it's because you have a high school reunion. It's not because you know you should get healthier. (laughs) So it's all of these things where we feel like we should be doing the things, but sometimes those low moments are actually really great catalysts for changing your life if you allow it. Yeah, you can really draw from experience and you can draw from not so great experiences or good ones and good can result in both ways. How do you bring the lessons that you've learned And it sounds like you're really self-taught in a lot of this. Is that an accurate Mm -hmm. thing to say? Yeah, I would say so. I've always been into personal development. So a lot of this stuff, I think, comes down to mindset and Mm. discipline and willpower and motivation more than anything. So how do you bring all that to the people that you serve today? The biggest piece that I would say is when people reach out to financial coaches specifically, they already know that they need to change. Okay, They're already to that low point for the most part. I think of myself as more of a guide to help them get to that next level. But in reality, when you get to that point where you're willing to put money on the line and hire a professional for help, you're ready to change your life. And so I think it's a really big thing. Mm. Most of us know what you need to do in order to lose weight, but you'll <laughs> totally. still pay a personal or, or even just like how to exercise. Like you can look it up online. 100%. But if you're paying for a membership, if you're paying for classes or a trainer, you're paying for that accountability and also the community maybe 
to keep you going. Yeah. And sometimes it's just that extra set of eyes of, am I doing the right thing? Is this actually the right decision? Yeah. A lot of times people pay for that too. So there's a lot of overlap in what we both do professionally. So me as a certified financial planner and you as a money coach, and we've had some really good discussions about where those overlaps are and some of the common things that we see. And one of my favorite things that has come up in conversation with you centers around patterns in our clients' behaviors and habits. Can you talk a little bit about how you use habit building and the habit loop and the power of our brains to help your clients form better money habits and and make better decisions? Completely. Yeah, I know you and I are both a big fan of this book, but The Power of Habit is the first book that really hit this all home for me in a really cohesive way. And one of the things that The Power of Habit Charles Duhigg teaches is this habit loop. And I started to look at the habit loop and study it very deeply for my own life. And it's so interesting because the habit loop starts with a cue. A cue is time. It can be a place. It can be a person. It can be a visual cue. It can be an emotion. So we start with some type of a cue. That cue then triggers a routine. A routine is basically just the actions that you're taking. And then you get some type of a reward. And we repeat this unconsciously all day long in almost every area of our life. So for me, when I started studying this, one of the areas that I was looking at was I was constantly, this is when I was working a nine to five job. Every morning I would come into work, I'd open up my computer, I'd have my email pulled up and immediately I would go, I need to go get some coffee. So then I would walk to Starbucks, I would get my coffee and then I'd walk back. I didn't need coffee. Let's be real. I had like five cups every morning. So that was not the issue. (laughs) And so one of the things that I started to look at was that habit loop that I was going through. And ultimately what I learned is that the cue was actually, yes, a place. I was in my office. It was also a time of day. It was always the same time every single morning. But more than anything, it was an emotion. I wanted a little bit of procrastination so I didn't have to dive into my email yet. So my excuse was that I was going to walk to Starbucks to get coffee. And that was the reward was I got a little bit of procrastination. But the idea of the habit loop is interesting. What if you take a current habit? Maybe it's a good habit. Maybe it's a bad habit. Usually if you want to change it, it's not serving you. What if you took that same bad habit loop and just started to replace it? So it's a more positive loop for you. It doesn't mean you have to shift everything. It means you have to shift a couple things. So I started to shift a little thing. I said, okay, instead of buying coffee, I'm still going to want to procrastinate on my emails. What if I just go for a gratitude walk where I walk along the river and I say all the things that I'm thankful for and then come back and work on my emails. And so I shifted it. So I was able to save more money and still get that same fix, that same reward of procrastination, unfortunately. Mm. But it's so easy to do that when you understand how powerful that habit loop is. And the really important part of that wasn't that you were, or I guess your goal was to stop buying coffee in a sense. Is that what was motivating you as I wanted? It was. Don't want to be wasting money on an expensive Starbucks. Yeah. I need something to happen in that time. So the real key to your success in that was replacing that action with another specific action. So it's not just about breaking a habit. It's about replacing it with a new habit that better serves you. That's exactly. Yeah. And it was one of those things where... A cup of coffee a day is not going to break the bank and overall hurt me. No. But it was something where I'm looking at my account. I'm like, what else could I do with that money? It's the opportunity cost of that money. It's Mm -hmm. being more intentional. And I think that's what the habit loop allows you to do is get very intentional with your spending. So you're not just mindlessly partaking in habits. Is there anything else that you've identified 
that you were able to apply the same framework to because especially when something happens in the morning, our mornings are so routine in general. I feel like there's so much opportunity there. Most people talk about their morning routines as being integral to their success or maybe integral to not having success depending on what your routines are. But is there anything else that you can think of that you feel has been impactful? Yeah. And this actually came from a book called Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. It's a book that I think is a really good follow-up to The Power of Habit. One of the biggest things that I learned from that book is how to set up your environment for success. So let's go through a quick example. Let's say every day you tell yourself, I'm going to journal for five minutes. Every single day I'm going to journal. And every day you sit at your kitchen table, you drink your first cup of coffee and you never journal. So instead of trying to fight this and say, okay, I'm going to walk upstairs. I'm going to go to my office. I'm going to grab that notebook, bring it downstairs, and I'm going to journal. Set up your environment for success. What if instead you had the journal right next to you on your kitchen table? Yeah, it's not very fun. You maybe don't really want the eyesore. But what if you did that instead where it's within arm's reach? So you can start to see how you can set up your environment for success It's a similar thing too. If you're trying to run more, they always say, put your workout clothes right on the floor, Mm -hmm. put them on your bed, put your shoes on the ground right when you get out of bed. So you'll trip over them. It's that visual cue and setting up your environment for success. So I think it's really important that we can all do that too. It's not super difficult. It's like eliminating friction. Exactly. In a way, like it's, if you can remove as many barriers as possible, that you just make it as easy as possible to accomplish, then you're much more likely to move ahead with it. What are some of the patterns or habits that you see with your clients most often that they're trying to break or replace? And what do you see as some of the most successful replacements for those? Great question. I'd say the biggest piece that I see is most people are just mindlessly spending. They have so many money leaks and they have no idea. If you ask somebody, how much do you spend every month on eating out? 200. And then when they look at the actual numbers, it's like $700. And so it's so easy to see that you have money leaks if you allow yourself to become aware of it. So tracking your money every single day, paying attention, logging into your bank account every day, even though it scares you. That's one of the biggest pieces that I see so many people falter on is they're just not paying attention. They're spending mindlessly. And a lot of that comes down to mindset, which I know we'll talk about for sure. Mm. But I think that's the biggest piece is just not paying attention. It's easier to just not pay attention. It's a lot easier. And if you get into a habit where I will most often see that come up with clients where they're coming from the perspective of, well, I've automated some of my savings. Mm -hmm. So I know I'm generally on track with those goals. And I know I'm not going into debt to support my lifestyle. So I just, I'm just spending mindlessly. But then at the end of the day, they're thinking about it saying, where is all my extra money going? It's that miscellaneous black hole of spending when (laughs) you go through their budget (laughs) account, right? Like nobody loves to approach a budget for the first time. Nobody loves it. Usually, I don't know, I guess you could reframe this. I was going to say it's eye-opening in a negative way, but you could reframe it to say that it's eye-opening in a positive way because there is so much extra money there. You just have to go in and grab it. And for me, I know my black holes of spending. They are CVS and Target because I have a family. And so those are my convenient places to end up going to get things. And I can't walk out of CVS without spending $50. And I have a tiny little bag, but it ends up being that way. So once I start actually tracking what it was I was spending there or being really specific about going in and saying, I'm only going to grab 
these very specific things that I need and leave, mm-hmm. that would be a way to figure out where all that extra money's gone and, and recoup it. It's a great tip. Yeah. For some people, do you suggest that people use online shopping versus going into a store? I mean, I know it's weird in COVID, but like for some people, it can help right. their habits and others, it could be negative. I'm wondering what you see with your clients. Totally depends on the person and their yeah. personality. I'd say the one place that I recommend almost everybody do online shopping with mm. is actually their groceries. I agree. What I find is grocery shopping is, right? It's so easy. And a lot of times that's where you get those impulse buys. Mm-hmm. But it's really helpful if you do online shopping. Even if you have to pay a fee for it, I still recommend it. Because what it does is it allows you to see all of your cart and every single item in there before you officially check out. So you can see your total. So if you really struggle with sticking to a grocery budget, it's likely you either set it way too low and it's not realistic for your family and your life, or you're adding way too much crap to your cart. And so usually it's the latter. So that would be me. <laughs> I would be the second. Yeah. And I don't do it when I'm buying online for groceries, to be clear. No, but I, don't I definitely either. do it in the store because I'm so visual. Same. Which is the same reason why Instagram can tell me what to buy. <laughs> So well too. I, I, they just know me. <laughs> they really get me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I will like between my husband and I, I definitely come home with the higher grocery bill. He is much better about going in. Yeah. He has tunnel vision when he goes in there. And I go in and I'm like, oh my gosh, but they don't usually have this produce and this looks so good right now. And we could make all these wonderful things. And so true. We can make the shishito peppers and like I'll buy three bags of them. Like yeah, I will grab everything. I do the exact same thing. It's one of those things where I think women in general tend to be a little bit more visual. Maybe, yeah. Same thing. Like if I ever go into a store, I look at my mom, my sister and I, and we'll walk and everything in the store we have to touch. <laughs> we're like, what is with this? But it's one of those things where we're so visual that it's easy to get sidetracked and it's easy to see this and be like, oh my gosh, I saw a recipe on Pinterest that I should totally try. Exactly. It's how it usually goes. It's well-intended spending. The other thing that online grocery shopping forces me to do is to meal plan. Mm. So I will plan out my meal and then export to a grocery list. And that is helpful because then you can search your ingredients to do multiple meals. Like there are ways to not sacrifice in the least, but do better with your money. And those are the kinds of things that I'm always looking for. Mm -hmm. And I imagine are things that are really helpful to your clients. They really are. I'd say the online grocery shopping is the biggest piece. The second biggest piece is just setting up their bank accounts in a way that works for them. So sometimes that means they need a primary checking account where all of their checks get deposited into, and then they need a secondary checking account for fun money or for spending. That doesn't work for everybody, but it works for some people where it's that very clear separation of here's my fixed bills, here's my fun money. The other thing too, is it's similar why most financial people will always recommend not having your savings account, your emergency Mm -hmm. fund in your checking account, or even sometimes in the same bank is because we need those barriers between us and the behavior that isn't serving us. So that's another way that you can just set up your financial environment for success from that perspective too. What are some of the tips that you've across the board? Because that sounds like one of them that you give to people is, oh, let's take a look at the way your banking set up. Are there like a top three tips or something like that you typically have for working with people around like automation and savings and debt repayment? Yeah, it's interesting because I'm such a fan of automation, but I'm also a very big fan of manual work in the beginning. So when you're first getting started with budgeting and paying attention to your finances, it's good to automate because it makes you pay your bills on time and all of that kind of stuff. 
But what I see so many people do is they automate and then they forget to check back in. And sometimes automation is not perfect. There's sometimes where there's a processing error and your internet bill doesn't get charged on time. And then you're stuck with two bills because you forgot to check in on your finances. Mm -hmm. So just because it's automated does not mean that you don't still have to do the work and actually look at your account and make sure that bills truly did get paid on time. And the amounts were reasonable. There's no errors on your bills. That's this other piece too, where it's like, yes, automate. The second thing would be to still check in and still express that general awareness. And then the third thing is really study who you are as a person and put your personality into your budget. That's a fancy way of saying, if you love Target, you put Target into your budget, my friend. Don't try to take it out and make yourself hate your budgeting life. Like still spend on the stuff that you actually care about. Oh, I really like that. So Lauren and I are both really big fans of the idea of values-based budget and setting up your financial goals around your values. And I think that that's just another version of that. If your money is going towards the things that are important to you or the things that you love, it becomes a lot easier. And it also becomes easier to say no in certain areas because the reason you're saying no or restricting in certain areas is because you're directing the money towards what you love and value the most. 100%. That makes a lot of sense to me. It also just makes it realistic, right? Right. Why set up goals that you're going to fail at anyways? I, we always do that though. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's almost a form of self-sabotage. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. That's one of my biggest things, whether it's around money or around health or around business or whatever it is when I'm setting up goals. I know the SMART goal framework is very, I don't want to say it's cliche, but it's something that you hear over and over and over, but there's a reason for it. Yes, it works. (laughs) So I've been following you on social media for a while since we met back in 2019. And one thing that I love about your social media is that you, like I said in the beginning of the show, you have a fun approach to money. Thank you. You're very approachable. And the way you talk about money is very approachable. It's kind of like talking to your sister or your girlfriend about money. Like it's just, I get the impression that you mean it to be a friendly conversation that you want to have as opposed to when you dread having. (laughs) Totally. Right? Yes. (laughs) Nobody wants to talk about money if it's always negative. Yeah. But also not just negative, but if it's serious. Mm -hmm. If something can be light and fun, then you want to address it more. And if you're paying more energy and more attention to something, then you're going to be more successful with it. Not long ago, you posted about the money goals that you're working on, and I thought they were really interesting. Is it okay if I ask you about them to share a little bit? Yeah, of course, any of them. And they're really interesting to me too, because if I apply the SMART framework, I'm wondering how long-term some of these are. Mm -hmm. One of them, I mean, you told us flat out, you said you're working on five properties in five years. So what does that mean for you? Five properties. Yeah, this is, I'm really excited. So I'll have to report back later and let you guys know how it's actually going. But one of the goals that I have is to do short-term rentals, Airbnbs, VRBOs, that kind of thing, and create this really fun experience for people where they can go, they can get away from reality for a weekend and just enjoy their time. And so my whole goal is to create one of those per year, maybe more, we'll see but I'm working on my first property. So I'm doing a little geodome in the mountains in Idaho. And Wait, a what? It's a geodome? What is that? Have you seen these? No. What oh is this? Gosh, <laughs> I have to show you through Instagram. This is the coolest. It's basically a canvas tent. Have you ever seen a yurt? A what? The big round circle things. <laughs> oh, no. 
Oh, this is like glamping 101, friend. I'm going to teach you all the things. Okay. Oh, all right. So I've heard of the term glamping before. Yes. It, so I've it, heard of that term. It's kind of like that. So okay, a geodome is a canvas tent with a massive panoramic window. And they're really cool. They're really quirky, just kind of fun. And so that's what I'm doing for the first property is renting that out. Oh, that sounds really fun. It's amazing. It'll be super, super cool. But the beautiful thing for anybody that does want to get into real estate investing, it's not super expensive. Like we think of real estate investing, we think we're going to have to spend on the low end $200,000 for a house, fix it up, make it fun. But it doesn't have to be that way. No. Like these are all going to be less than 60. You're thinking outside the box on it. That's what it is. You're not thinking of the traditional way to do things. Right. And so is your intention to do these all by like cash yourselves or are you financing anything? Completely. So we will likely do them all through cash, mostly because none of these qualify for traditional financing. Oh, okay. So that's the downside. So you do have to be a little bit more cash intensive for it. But it also takes a lot of the risk out of it. Yeah. Or or a good chunk of it anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. It really does though. So your next one, I love, you want to invest in your HSA. So that's a health savings account. Yes. Is your goal just to be like maxing it out annually? How do you plan for it? Like what's your planning? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm pretty young and that does not mean I should not be maxing out my HSA. But historically, I've been in pretty good health. So I've gotten kind of lazy in my own finances in that area. And it's one of those things where I'm going to be glad when I have it, when I'm older, I'm going to be glad if something comes up, I should say when something comes up. So it's one of those areas that I've neglected in my own financial life. And so I want to, yeah, max it out 3,500 and invest it. Well, there's a lot of reasons to do it outside your health too. So you're self-employed, right? Exactly. Yeah. So as a self-employed person, this is really an extension of a retirement account because once you get to age 65, you can withdraw the money, whether it be for health or non-health purposes. And for those of you listening who have access to an HSA, it is the triple crown of all tax treatment in that it's the best (laughs) pre-tax dollars in tax deferred growth. And as long as it's taken out within the rules, there's no taxes on earnings. So it's literally no taxes on anything ever. And you can invest it. It doesn't have to sit in cash. So yeah, that that rocked my world. It is like one of the most underutilized tools And if you have access to one, I think a lot of times people mix it up with the flexible spending account, which... I think they do too. ...is a use it or lose it. And this one, yeah, it's yours. You keep it with you. So here's another big, awesome goal. Number three is $500,000 in business revenue. So do you have multiple revenue sources? Are you counting like real estate income? Like, how are you doing this? Such a good question. So with the business goals specifically, it will be within the brand of Whitney Hansen LLC. So under that brand, I've got a few different segments. So I've got the coaching side, I've got courses, and then I also have sponsorships, brand deals, stuff like that with companies for the podcast. And so my intention is to grow those pieces even further so that they all equate to you know 500,000. Real estate will be its separate beast, but yeah, for the business, that's what I'm working on. I love it. Number four is donating more frequently to the Humane Society. So you're an animal lover. Love animals. You have a dog named Patrick. Is that right? So Patrick was... Was that your dog before? That was my dog before. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So Shiloh's my new pup. Patrick. Oh man. Broke my heart. He passed away a year ago. Oh. A little over a year ago. Me too. I'm it's sorry. Okay. I'm over it at this point. So because of that, seeing his little life, we, oh man, he's like our child. And so we love the heck out of him. And after he passed, 
we were trying to figure out how the heck do we help dogs, like be around dogs, but not keep them in my house. And so we started fostering and we ended up adopting our first foster dog, (laughs) which I I hear is common. I don't know. (laughs) So we know people who foster and they've been known to adopt a dog or two here or there. This would be me. (laughs) This would be me. Well, I mean, I suppose if the goal of fostering is to help the dog find the right fit and it happens to be you, I mean, I suppose that's in alignment. (laughs) She's the coolest dog ever. She's 13, was picked up as a stray. Oh, Yeah, not... We don't know much about her past, but she has been such a little angel. I just adore her. So that's That's so sweet. One of our goals now is to help. And older dogs are so in need of homes. Oh my God, they're the best. And your last one is hosting a money coaches retreat. Tell me about this. Yes. Well, I mean, I know what it means, but (laughs) tell me more. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but this is live events are amazing and scare the heck out of me at the exact same time. Oh, okay. So it's one of those things where I've always wanted to have retreats. I I met you at a live event. I don't know, but I didn't host it. So it's different. (laughs) This is true. Yeah. Okay. It's the pressure of getting people to show up and marketing and making sure you price. It's a lot. It's a ton of pressure. Yeah. It is. But it's one of those areas that I've felt very called to do. And I've always wanted to have other money coaches get together, learn marketing, financial tips, tricks, like what works in your business and how do we improve and help each other. And so it's one of those goals that I've wanted to do and then COVID hit and here we are, but it's definitely on my radar. So is there a timeline on that goal or is that just like you want to get through COVID and figure out when the time is right to gather people in one place? It's mostly, yeah, exactly. Once COVID's done, I think I should have a slightly better understanding. So the goals that you have formed are probably different than the types of financial goals your clients are coming into you with. So what's the life cycle of your clients like? Do they come to you when they're like, wow, I feel like I'm disorganized. You help them get it together. And then what? Then do they work on these kind of goals with you? Or then are they like free birds off to live their happy financial life? How does it work? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. And so I would say most people come to me when they feel disorganized, they need that structure, that foundation built up. So when when they're really struggling with the day-to-day, that's when they reach out. And once they start to pay off their debt, they have their emergency fund, then they can start to dream a little bit more. It's almost like once you have your coat on, you can worry about how else do I stay warm? It's the same type of thing where when you have your necessities covered and you have that base layer of financial security, you feel like you can take on some of these bigger far-fetched goals or you can focus on, man, I'm really under earning in my job. Now I should really take that leap and switch careers completely because I've always dreamed of doing that, but I didn't think I could swing that financially. So I think it's like once you get that base layer done, then you can start to dream. So sometimes that means, yes, they're comfortable, they're empowered, they can do this on their own after three months. Sometimes it's, I still want a little bit of support. But for the most part, it's getting that layer of foundation really does allow you to be more creative with your dreaming. Mm, Yeah, I like that. Let's talk about the podcast. So you have the award-winning Money Nerds podcast. Yes. Tell me about how you came up with the idea of Money Nerds and what the show is all about. What can I expect if I'm coming to it? Yeah, it's a very eclectic show, all centered around how people either make money, spend money, or find financial success. Mm -hmm. And the whole premise of the show started from attending FinCon, the conference that you and I met at. Yeah. So at that time, I was very new into financial blogging. And at that time I was doing YouTube, which don't go watch those videos, but I was doing that. You have to start somewhere. (laughs) Oh man, do you ever? 
And so that's what I was doing in my business at that time. And I went to FinCon and was hearing all of these people's stories of how they were paying off legit millions of dollars in debt or selling their dream car and buying a clunker and doing all these really weird things with money that weren't really being shared with everybody. Podcasting was very new at that time. And I came home from FinCon was like, this is so crazy. There are so many weirdos just like me out there. (laughs) (laughs) And it really triggered something in me where I wanted to give people a platform for them to share their stories of what's working, what's not working, what did they try? It's just a really fun platform. So that's really where the podcast stemmed from was hearing people's stories. I love that it's the what didn't work. Yeah, no doubt. In addition to the success stories, because it's so easy, I think, as you know, someone listening in to think like, wow, you know, people are successful. They've made all these right choices. And you forget that there were probably a whole bunch of wrong choices or, or mistakes that they had to make first before they figured out what the right path was, especially since everybody's right path looks a little bit different. Yeah. And I think that's the fun part is I get to ask people those tough questions and, you know, did, did you always feel good about your paying off your debt or did, was your partner on board? How did that look? And so it's really mm. fun to learn what works for other people because it also helps me as a financial coach too, to, you know, Hey, go listen to this podcast episode. Their story is very similar to yours and it might help you. Oh yeah. I have to think so. That's awesome. So Lauren and I have three questions that we ask all of our guests, and I would love to hear your answers to them. We believe that you can do everything. There's nothing that you can't do, but you can't do all of it at the same time. And so you have to choose what's going to be the focus of your energy. Where are you going to have your foot on the gas for the most at this point in your life? So of all the areas of your life, and you have so many interesting ones, ones we haven't even touched on, like your furniture flipping and and fun stuff like that, Mm -hmm. which if you go follow Whitney on Instagram, you can see more of. But what would you say is the primary area of your focus right now? Right now, it's 100% focused on my business goal of making that $500,000 per year. That's it. The primary focus at this exact moment is on helping other financial coaches through a course So that's really where I'm putting my first quarterly energy is all into that goal. So you've created a digital course aimed at helping other financial coaches work with their clients or to become a financial coach? What is it? More to become a financial coach and how to market themselves and get their name out there. Oh, cool. So if someone was interested in that, how would they find it? The best place is just on WhitneyHanson.com. There's links to all of the different courses, but that's where you can read some content to see if you even want to become a financial coach. (laughs) So that's a good place to start. So if you're one of those people who more than three people have come up and asked you about how you got out of debt or how you do your budgeting or whatever it is, maybe you'd be a good fit for it. Absolutely. Yep. More than three people, you've got something. All right, cool. And so given that that is the primary area of your energy and attention right now, are there areas of your life that you are just giving yourself grace in at the moment so you can focus there? So I hate saying this out loud, but it it is very true. Own it, whatever it is. It's okay. I really did put my health on the back burner. I would say... I'm I'm raising my hand. You too? Last year. That was me last year. This is my focus this year. (laughs) That's awesome. It's not my top... It's becoming a bigger priority, but that was one area where, yeah, man, it was not paying attention to my diet, not working out nearly enough, giving myself the excuse of the gym's closed. So therefore (laughs) I'm closed for working out too. And it didn't serve me at all. It made me feel like crap. I was eating popcorn for dinner almost every night. I'm like, what is this life? 
And so that needs to be something I prioritize a little bit more, but is currently on the back burner. Well, you know, you probably can't be perfect at everything, but you definitely can't be uh, an A plus at everything at once. So that's the idea of having to like shift your priorities. It's true. Can you identify any specific habits or routines that you've developed for yourself as you've been working towards developing that course, marketing that course and, and driving it forward? This is one of the nerdiest productivity tips that I started implementing. And it's so great. I'm excited now. Yeah, it works incredibly well for me and helps me achieve my goals. So basically what I do is I have a whiteboard off to the side of me. And every single week, I will write down everything I have to accomplish. Every single thing. I got to go to the gym. I've got to walk the dog. I've got to go grocery shopping. I have to email this person back. I have to do this podcast episode. I will write down everything that needs to get done. And next to that, I will write how long I think it will take. So if I actually sat down and went to the grocery store, including commute time, how long would that truly take? Or if I sat down and ordered my groceries online, how long would that take? Every little thing gets a time block next to it. And then what I do is I then transfer that information over to my Google Calendar. And if it goes on my Google Calendar, it's a results-based goal. Meaning if you're a blogger, I would not write blog posts for two hours. It would say write two blog posts and have those completed and drafted in WordPress. So it'd be very, very specific about what I'm going to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And then what I do is I print off my daily calendar. I have that sitting next to me and I will just go through. And if something takes longer than I thought it was going to take, I'll just make a note. This took a little bit longer. So next time I can block an extra 30 minutes or however much time I need. It is so, so good. And it keeps me so focused. Is it a combination of the focus and then also that you have more realistic planning for it? If you're tracking, is that what it is? Yeah, I think it's a combination of that. And then also it's singular focus. If I say I'm going to check emails for 15 minutes, I set a timer. I've only got 15 minutes. When it's done, it's done. So there's no time to scroll Instagram. No, when you have a list that you can cross things off. And I have a friend who does something similar and she uses one of those desk timers where you hit the button and it goes off or you flip it over and, and it's done. Yeah. And you need to move on. That's really good. So... Again, if anyone wants to check you out, they can follow you at Whitney underscore Hansen underscore co. Is that correct? Yeah, that's my Insta. Yep. That's where to find her on Instagram. I suggest you do, again, super fun approach to money and also other things too. You get to see Shiloh, get to see your furniture flipping, which was, I think you told me that was a side hustle. You started as a test for clients. Is that correct? (laughs) Yes. I started it just because as a coach, I never wanted to recommend things that I would never do myself. I love that. (laughs) And that's what I tested side hustling for furniture flipping and actually fell kind of in love with it. (laughs) Yeah. So you can see her furniture rehabs online and, you know, just great money tips in a really, really positive way. If people are interested in working with you, they can go to WhitneyHanson.com. Yeah, that's the best place. And then just head over to the podcast. And honestly, if you can't afford a financial coach, that's the best place. It's just free information all about money. Yeah, I subscribe to Money Nerds. And so you can find that everywhere. Spotify, Apple, Amazon. It should be. (laughs) Whitney, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And it's nice to see your face and hear your voice. Nice to see you too. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for the time. Be well. 